Grayson Carter is the fifth victim in a chain of murders more fantastic than any to be found in police annals. A chain of murders perpetrated by the mysterious self-appointed angel of vengeance, known only as Dr. R.X., who has usurped the prerogative of making up for the courtroom impotency of the district attorney. Two months ago, Carter was himself tried for murder and acquitted because of the jury mesmerizing genius of a brilliant defense attorney. Tried and acquitted as four others had been before him. This morning in his exclusive club bedroom, he was found strangled to death as his four predecessors had been. Pinned to his pajamas was the doctor's calling card, the familiar slip of white paper with which the other victims were tagged. And scrawled in the upper left-hand corner was the customary RX. And in the center, a similarly scrawled numeral five to indicate Grayson Carter's place in this strange sequence of retribution. Episode 121 of The Bloody Pit. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. And tonight, we return to the Universal Horror Movies of the 40s. Maybe we should retitle this whole thing. I don't know. <laughs> because uh, the, the when we get to the horror section of this particular film we're covering tonight... And you mean at the very tail end? At the, the, we're talking <laughs> the last, yeah. like... 10 minutes, maybe? Yeah, I see your point. Maybe universal mystery thrillers, horrors of the 40s, kind of. Well, so. I mean, we're, we are really going to have to think about how we how we brand this mm-hmm. particular line of podcasts for the show. Yeah. Especially once we get to the Sherlock Holmes movies. Which, exactly, yeah. You know, but, but that's nevertheless, mm-hmm. uh, tonight we're going to talk about The Strange Case of Dr. R.X. from mm-hmm. 1942. Uh Right at the beginning of our uh, the United States entering World War II and yeah. tried to... Uh, I'm sure we'll see none of that reflected in these films. Absolutely zero. zero. They will not <laughs> these, acknowledge it at these all. These are escapist No influence cinema. whatsoever. Yeah, right. There will be absolutely no inclusion of uh, Nazism <laughs> until we get to the Sherlock Holmes films, I yeah. think. Oh, no, no, wait a minute. Well, no. probably our very next one. <laughs> Actually, you're right, because the one we cover after this will involve uh, those dastardly evil Germans. Yeah, that's right. hmm. Uh, I can't remember if they call them... I, I can't remember if it's a Nazi thing or if they're just evil Germans. I can't remember. <laughs> because that's that's one of the weird lines that they would sometimes stride in the, mm-hmm. in the 40s when... Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, tonight we'll be covering that movie. Uh, before we do that, though, I want to... Uh, I, I, I have been remiss in thanking a lot of people who have been very kind in uh, donating to the podcast. Donating actual money, which, uh, you know... I love. I love money. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I love not money. Bitcoin and not Monopoly money, but 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 true money you can <laughs> fold and crinkle and. Or in this case, use to pay the hosting fees yes, for exactly, yeah. the various podcasts. Right. And for that, yeah. I, I have I have a few people to thank. One, uh, uh, and I, I, I I'm afraid to use last names, uh, but there's a fellow who's named Michael and whose last name starts with an M, in case there's any doubt. Mm-hmm. But Michael has donated to us a couple of times and has been very generous and deserves much praise yes. from us for helping us to forego uh, the uh, the the deep debt that we would go into for mm-hmm. hosting the podcast. Actually, the podcast feed would just dry up if we, didn't pay, if we didn't pay the money. But, Michael, thank you very much. Also, uh, back in August, uh, a fellow named Jacob, last name starts with a D, donated to us as well. And back in March, Holly, who uh, has become a good friend on Facebook, Holly, has uh, donated to us as well. Uh, 
last name starts with a G, unless that's a pseudonym. Mm-hmm. Could be a pseudonym on Facebook, even. You know that? Yeah, that's yeah, true. Some people do. But these are people who have donated to us uh, also just recently. Uh, uh, returning donee. Mike Tutino, and, yeah. I will use, and I will use his name because he's been a guest on the show. So right. his, he's, he has been he's, outed. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's out and proud, uh-huh. poor, poor sad soul. Uh-huh. Uh, but he has donated to us again as well, kind of uh, throwing, a, throwing a few shekels our way to help us forego the cost of the, the hosting of the show. And for that, once again, thanks to yeah. all of you who are willing to... Uh, oh, man. Like I say, I'm, very, I'm a very poor elicitor of donations. I'm very bad at... Uh, doing the thing that would elicit money, uh, even just reminding people that it's possible to do it, just because mm. I feel a little guilt involved yeah. in it. Uh, because I do I do kind of see these shows as, you know, they're you know, they're always free. They're they're not nobody's being charged for this. We're not we're not making any money off this podcast. And, and it is in in a way it's it's done out of the joy of it yeah. for both of us yeah. and for everybody who comes on the show. And also just because we we love to spur conversation about the movies that we talk about. And so to have people enjoy it enough to send some nice notes even along sometimes with the donations to tell us how much they enjoy what we're doing and how what we've been doing producing this these podcasts has, has really brightened their day. Uh, there have been some specific notations. We'll get to a couple of them in the uh, latter part of the show when we dive into the mailbag. Mm-hmm. People who've uh, written to thank us specifically through, mm-hmm. for helping them get through the you know 2020 COVID hell, yeah. uh, where they're just having that little extra <clears throat> bit of entertainment, that mm-hmm. thing that helps them have something fun to listen to for a couple hours. Yeah. Well, I really uh, I feel like you know we should have some sort of cast swag to send these donators, you know? It's it's like, you know, we can't mass produce much because we don't get mass donations, but I feel like maybe we should at least get a stack of construction paper and some Elmer's glue and scissors and maybe make these people glitter, little, make these people glitter. glitter and make these people little El Hombre Lobo figures or Alec Demarnik figures to mail to them when they donate or something. Some sort of well, reward I mean, uh, for... Should, should there be a... Some kind of bizarre thing where we put together like a, a an image of Patrick Knowles. Uh, he's <laughs> yeah. gonna turn he's gonna turn up in so many of these. And he's turned sh- up in like this will be his third. I think his third film. Yeah, third? yeah, yeah. Well, I was even gonna say more than that. Then uh, if we're gonna go that route, it should be Lionel Atwell. You know, Ooh, Lionel Atwell is yeah, yeah. basically becoming our spirit animal for this show. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> our chloroform wielding spirit guide for uh, for this. He does. Series. He does briefly turn up in this film, yeah, but yeah. Uh, and, he, and he will turn up in at least one of the Sherlock, one of the Sherlock Holmes films, he actually mm-hmm. gets to play mm-hmm. Professor, per, Professor Moriarty. Mm-hmm. So that is a good thing. But uh, yeah, yeah, some kind mm-hmm. of bizarre. We should start weird memes of uh, <laughs> Lionel Atwill saying <clears throat> bizarre things that are actually us saying. Yeah. Oh God, that would be that would be uh, that'd be fun actually. Yeah, I would love to hear my everyday <laughs> statements spoken by Lionel Atwill. <laughs> <laughs> Especially the pictures of him from this film where he's wearing the the glasses. Coke bottle glasses. Yeah, they're they're so thick they distort his eyes to the point. Yeah, it's just yeah. it's it's comical and uh, it's bizarre. It's a, yeah, but one of the many bizarre odd choices in this movie yes. that we're going to do tonight. Boy, there's some really odd choices. In yes, this there film. are. Whoa, yeah, there are. Oh, uh, you made mention uh, beforehand. Uh, just a, a little little thing for the Spanish horror fans out there, or even just uh, fans of people who might have run across this film because it has been in the uh, quote unquote public domain for mm-hmm. so many years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has been uh, kind of unofficially announced. There's not been an official announcement yet, but it would appear that Vinegar Syndrome is going to be releasing on Blu-ray 
Burger Mansion or Maniac Mansion, whichever yeah. title you want to you want to call it by. Yeah. Uh, apparently, sometime in the near future, they're going to be putting it out on Blu-ray, and that is an astonishing yes, development because that movie has needed a good release for a lot of years. And when we covered it on uh, over on the Nashi Cast as a Beyond Nashi episode, mm. I know that we lamented the fact that yeah. every print of it. I mean, there's some pretty okay prints, but there's mm. nothing that's been yeah. really sharp. Right. And uh, the fact that this might actually happen. Is yeah. exciting. And it's a fun movie. It really is. I really enjoy this movie a lot. Yeah, we, we liked it a lot when we saw it. So yeah, I think uh, yeah, we're excited about this potential of having that on an upgraded version. Yeah, it was Beyond Nashy number thirteen where mm-hmm. we covered Murder Mansion. That's the title that we yeah we covered <laughs> it decided on. But yeah, so if you want to go back and check out what we thought of that movie, like I say, most people. I mean, it's you could watch it right now on YouTube yeah. completely for free. But there's no guarantee that the version you'll be looking at is. Uh, Great. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Great. Yeah. So the fact that it might come out uh, on Blu-ray soon uh, from Vinegar Syndrome is a very exciting thing. We're pleased as punch about that. Of course, there are uh, other uh, Nashy Blu-rays on the way as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it has been uh, officially announced by Mono Macabro that uh, the not just completely underseen, but in some ways never seen Paul <laughs> yeah. film from 1988, Howl of the Devil, is going to be coming out on Blu-ray in the uh, in the near future. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, since, you know, you're ta- you're, you're, the two people that are speaking are uh, from the Nashi Cast podcast, and we're talking about a, a Mondo Macabro Nashi film coming out on Blu-ray, there's some things that you might think mm-hmm. would be true, but that we're not going to say. Right, right. Yeah. I leave you to surmise. You may surmise until other official announcement, but it is definitely official that uh, not only How the Devil is going to be coming out from Mondo Macabro, but they have uh, more than hinted, and as a matter of fact, outright said that uh, it does look like they're also going to be the people in the United States releasing, well, in the United States of Britain, mm-hmm. releasing The Frenchman's Garden or The Frenchman's Orchard, whichever yeah. title you want to, I don't know, I wonder which title they will go with, Good question. actually. Good question. Uh, but they're also, you know, because that has gotten a big restoration over in Spain, very mm-hmm. exciting, and uh, they uh, were able to snatch up the rights to release it over here. It's fantastic, yeah. Yeah, that's a major one for uh, people. Nashi directing, uh, really just a... a Great directing effort from Nashi, and a really interesting story what he, that he chose to, to to tell as he did so often in the films he directed himself. So, yeah, and uh, yeah, that you and you can both those shows we've covered on Nashi Cast, both those movies, excuse me. So you can go back and pass Nashi Cast and listen back to what we had to say about these upcoming releases. But we're very excited about both of these. It's just great to know they're finally going to be getting the respect they deserve. Nearly miraculous. Never, mm-hmm. never mm-hmm. thought. Definitely, never thought we'd see how. Oh, that's out. the major, major coup right there. <laughs> and I can tell you, mm-hmm. the, the the I've got a rough look at uh, the print mm-hmm. that will be on that Blu-ray. Mm. Oh man! First oh. of all, first of all, let's just say there are details that I didn't even know were in the film. Awesome! It's kind of amazing. But folks, is it actually Howard Vernon that explodes? <laughs> <laughs> No, he did not kill Howard Vernon. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't. I was trying to remember. Was he ever in another movie? He didn't even. I mean, even they even (laughs) fake ripping his eyes out. It's terrible. Oh man, I can't. Yeah, it's sad. (laughs) If you're gonna go that far, I mean, you know, method act this fucker right into the grave. Let's do it. (laughs) What is this? The Nashi cast? What are we talking about? Oh, that's right. We need to be talking about other things because this is the bloody pit. The bloody pit. And uh, like I say, we'll uh, be diving into the strange case of Doctor RX. So hang loose, folks, and we'll be right back in a few moments to do so. What is it? 
It's the From B to A podcast season two at FromBtoA.LiveSend.com and on Apple Podcasts. I take a celebrity who took a while to make it big and compare that pre-stardom career to the career of someone who made it big right away and then established more of a cult fandom. This season I am covering Angelina Jolie. You were the one. You were the only one. And you were amazing. And film director, master of Italian horror, Lamberto Bava. There will be cyborgs, demons, ogres, supermodels, giallo, and a smooth-talking Danny Aiello. I see you ordered the turkey sandwich. You like turkey? Yep. Prepare for a spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Here are your hosts. Derek M. Cook and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff Victoria Price and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the Head of Rondo Hatton. Only on Monster Kid Radio. Yes, well, uh, Dudley would have come, but he's in the middle of this Serini trial. He needs your help very badly, Mr. Church. If it concerns a psychopathic physician who's been streamlining justice while I've been away, I'm afraid I can't help him. I'm leaving New York permanently. Cigarette? No, thanks. But Dudley's practice is being ruined. His life may be in danger, or his wife's. There have been threats. He's confident that you can run down this murderer, Mr. Church. I hope we can persuade you to change your plans. I'm very sorry, but I'm afraid you can't. Oh. Well, then there's nothing more to be said. Care for a drink? Uh, no, thanks. It's a little early for me. I wonder if you'd grant us one favor. Well, if I can, I'll be glad to. Will you talk to Dudley, Mr. Church? You could give him valuable counsel. If you can make it tonight. Of course. Shall Dudley come here, or will you come to Long Island? I'll come to Long Island. Good. Thanks very much. The Strange Case of Dr. Rx, 1942, directed by William Nye, starring Patrick Knowles, Lionel Atwill, Anne Gwynn, Ray Crash Corrigan, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. in one scene, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Samuel Hines, uh, Manton Moreland, mm-hmm. uh, Shemp Howard, yes. Shemp. all kinds of different things. Mm-hmm. I think that I will start with a, uh, a comment made about the film in the Universal Horrors book, uh, right at the end of the description of the mm. film and the talk of the film, the phrase uh, the, I'll, I'll just I'll just read this straight out. It says, uh, "Slickly made, nominally entertaining, but at the core erratic and absurd." The strange case of Doctor Rx is a decidedly lesser light in Universal's Galaxy of Horror. Now, mm-hmm. I both agree and disagree mm-hmm. with what I just read off. Okay, I agree 
with the facts stated, mm-hmm. but disagree in its tone. Okay. <laughs> Allow me to explain. Okay. Well, I'm never going to tell anybody, and we'll get to the, we'll, we'll run through the plot here in a few minutes, folks. Sure, trust me. Sure. I'm never going to try to, to to pretend to somebody that Strange Case of Doctor Rx is uh, some kind of lost classic, some right. underseen p- bit of genius filmmaking from the 1940s mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. all horror film fans need to get clued in on and and yeah. check out. Right. Because I'm going to be honest with you mm-hmm. and tell you right up front here, people, it's a kind of a messy film. A little bit. A little it's bit. a little messy. Mm-hmm. Now. What's good is that the movie is a little over an hour long, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so there's not it doesn't really give you enough time to reflect mm-hmm, on mm-hmm. some of its absurdities. Yes, the mess stays in the cooking bowl. It doesn't get on the walls and on the ceiling and yes, you know, on the floor. Yes, and while the flavor in the bowl, <laughs> there might be the occasional spoonful that tastes yeah. a little weird. <laughs> yeah, where like one ingredient maybe shouldn't have been in that bowl. Yeah. It's still mm. a nutritious meal. There you go. And you should keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. So, this movie was released on April 17th in 1942. It is only 66 minutes long. So, it doesn't overstay its welcome, although I have heard uh, some people complain about it having some draggy moments here and there. But, here's the thing. This is a movie that feels like... Um, well, before I learned a little bit about the movie, I thought it felt like, at first... Two different movies rammed together. Mm-hmm. And then the more I thought about it, it felt more along the lines of maybe it was kind of three different movies rammed together. <laughs> or three different three different ideas for movies rammed together. And ideas and films we've already seen in this series, maybe I'll just kind of picked parts yeah, from yeah, and like yeah. <laughs> and don't so together it's like, again. So it's like from the title, mm-hmm. yeah. from the title, you yeah. think Strange Case of Dr. Rx, okay, mad scientist. Yeah. But as the movie begins, mm-hmm. you realize that what we've got here is someone who appears to be the mad scientist because he he leaves behind notes mm-hmm. saying, you know, Dr. Rx, is that this mad scientist, if there is a mad scientist, is really just killing off people that this person thinks oh. deserve to die, that got away with mm-hmm. something, who, who somehow beat the rap while they were in court. Mm-hmm. They were able to escape conviction. So he somehow <clears throat> he sort of starts to become uh, sort of a vigilante. Right. Um, I think the term angel of vengeance is used somewhere in there, too. So Precisely. So it's like, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. I mm-hmm. thought we were getting into a mad scientist movie. Mm-hmm. Turns out what we've got here is a, a mysterious uh, vigilante kind of killer. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. Then we're introduced to our main character, who is uh, a detective who, as the old cliche goes, is trying to retire. Yeah, because <laughs> that always works for detectives or policemen. Or... Has there? I mean, have, <laughs> can we just be? And I'm and I'm not. I'm, this is not. I'm not slagging off the film because of this. But no, damn it. I. <laughs> in other words, you can go all the way back to 1942 and find a movie where your detective main character starts the movie going, yeah. "I'm retired, man. I'm not doing this shit. This, this ain't my bag anymore. I got yeah. I got other things to do. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go grow apricots or yeah. or trim toenails for 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 change or whatever the hell they decide mm-hmm. that they're gonna go do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's like I remember. I remember. Um, the first Lethal Weapon film in 1987. Mm-hmm. We start off in Danny Glover. I'm too, Dan, Danny, yeah, I'm too, I'm too old for this. And he's that close to retirement. Yeah. He's that close to retirement for three sequels. Yeah. You know. <laughs> it's, it's like, what, the, what in the hell? So, well, I mean, it's the same thing with uh, any Western where the gunfighter is sworn to give up his guns and never duel again. I mean, I mean you know, you can see it coming a mile true. away. <laughs> What's going to happen? <laughs> some, some bad shit's going to go down and he's going to be dragged right back into mm-hmm. the old... Uh, mm-hmm. I guess rat race is wrong. Bullet race? Yeah. <laughs> right? Back into the old bullet race. 
So what we have is uh, Patrick Knowles playing this character who is uh, a detective uh, who apparently has a pretty good track record uh-huh. and is actually <clears throat> actually um, considered so good that as this uh, this Dr. Rx, who, when the movie begins, has already killed a few people, has already vigilanted uh-huh. a few people to death... Uh-huh. This is how you make a 66-minute movie is you drop people into the middle of the story. Yeah. <laughs> We're already a couple corpses into this mother, and let's just keep rolling. Yep. And, and then, yeah, and the movie opens with you, you know, being introduced to, like, another one dying right yeah. there in the courtroom right, you know, seconds after he's acquitted. Yeah. So the the main cop character so desperately wants the Patrick Knowles character to help hmm. try to solve this Dr. Rx thing that he's trying to cajole him into helping the cops. Uh, well, that's an, I, and I kind of like that dynamic. That's another thing in this movie that I like, which is that there's a cop who's not just pissed off that there's this nosy fucking private eye who's sticking his yeah. dick into everything. Yeah. Yeah. This is a this is a cop who actually admires and wants the help of this guy to the point where he's pursuing him, trying to get him to help. Mm. So that's pretty cool. I yeah. kind of like yeah. that aspect of it. So, so title says mad scientist. Movie starts and you've got mm. mad vigilante. Okay, okay, mm. cool, mm. cool, cool. Then we get a little ways into the movie, and um, <laughs> we get introduced to a female character, and it turns out we've got Universal trying really hard to make say, the Thin Man that, movies. Say, I was, I was They're trying really <laughs> yeah. hard with these two characters, with the Patrick yeah. Knowles character mm-hmm. and the Anne Gwynn character, to set up some kind of Nick and Nora Charles. Absolutely, because the Thin Man series has started in the late 30s, and here by this time in, the, in 1942, it's still going strong. They still had two or three more entries in the yep. film series to go, so it's very popular. And I think that's exactly what was kind of going on going on here. And it's and it's not as if this was uh, it wasn't just limited to the, uh, the the Thin Man movies either. No, I'm a huge fan of the Torchy Blaine film right. series yeah. and the the uh, the back and forth bickering and bantering between mm. the main character and her boyfriend, who she's supposedly going to marry mm. at several different junctures in the film series, is is a big part of what drives those movies as well. It's a nice little undercurrent that flows throughout that that film series as well. Mm. And so having a, a Nick and Nora Charles an Ertz at Nick and Nora Charles is another thing this movie is trying mm. to kind of throw into the mix mm-hmm. then you have um well let's just go with this then you have the weird comedic element of patrick knowles character mm-hmm. whose name i'm completely free oh jerry church mm-hmm. patrick knowles character's name uh is jerry church who has um a butler mm-hmm. played by the great mm-hmm. manton morland yep. who i think is one of the great screen comedians oh, of the period. yeah he's very funny he's his his comic timing i know there's a lot of there's always the controversy about the people who are uncomfortable with that aspect of Hollywood, and I understand that, but he as a comic actor has great timing. He really is good. I think Manton Moreland, let's put it this way, Manton Moreland has made more movies better than good movies have been made just to Mm -hmm. have Manton Moreland in them. Yeah. He's never disappointed me, and he doesn't disappoint me in this film either, although I have to say this movie doesn't give him nearly enough to chew on and give Shemp Howard even less I'm afraid Shemp Howard is wasted he totally is totally wasted he did not elicit Manta Morland made me laugh a couple times Mm. Shemp Howard in this movie does not get a laugh out of me at all you know I'll go and say uh, um, reading some of the the backstory of the film is that Anne Gwen the actress that plays the female lead she uh plays the Nora Charles in this now she said she said before that a lot of the dialogue was improvised yeah, um, they apparently didn't have a finished script. Yeah, and I can't really tell it in most scenes except for the 
comic scenes between Manton Marlin and Shemp Howard because those really feel like they were trying to yeah, improv trying to something and it's just not working. So. Yeah, yeah, which is which is a real shame oh, yeah, because yeah. both of them are comic talents. Uh, yeah, and it's you know that that we're we're in the early forties. Both these people are both these actors as mm. co- as comedians are at the top of their game as yeah. far as just the work that they were doing at the time. Yeah. I mean, we're still a few a few years away from Shemp going back into the Three Stooges yeah. after uh, Curly's health problems. Yeah, but the uh, yeah the it, it's a shame that those those scenes don't work. The man the the stuff with the uh, Manton doing um, funny funny bits. Not all of his bits are particularly great. No. But when he is when he is interacting with Patrick Knowles, mm-hmm. things are things are pretty. That's good. some good moments. They do. Yeah. yeah. And, and actually, uh, the few moments he interacts with, I wish I wish Manta Morland's character had actually had more time to interact with with Anne Gwynn because yeah. Anne Gwynn seems more seems like she's got more energy. Mm-hmm. She's kind of got mm. a lot more verve. Yeah, I really like her in this film. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it makes me what's in this film for Anne Gwynn made me think again. It's like, man, I'm I'm really surprised she didn't do more. I mean, she did. She had a you know pretty good career and did yeah. some good films, but it's like uh, you know really feel like she had the potential there to to have done more uh, because she's yeah she really adds a lot of life to this film well I, I think it's funny I, I think you're right I think that she's you know we've talked about her in a number of films you know she was in uh, she was in Black Friday mm-hmm. uh, pretty thankless role there of course mm-hmm. but I, I was reading an interview with her that Tom, that Tom Weaver published in one of his books a while back and I was really in I was really intrigued to find this out Weaver asks her he says uh, uh, he's talking about Black Friday he says in the scene where Ann Nagel is being strangled her screams sound suspiciously like yours. And Anne Gwen says, you're right. They had me dub it in later. Mm. Originally, there was no scream. After all, when you're being strangled, you can't very well scream. Now, can you? But somebody decided after the fact that they needed a scream in that scene, so I came in to do it. Yeah. So Weaver, <clears throat> so Weaver asked exactly what the next logical yeah. question would be, which yeah. is, did you do any other after-the-fact screaming in movies? And Miss Gwen says... Well, as a matter of fact, I did. Whenever a girl couldn't get it out, they always called on me. <laughs> I never had any trouble handling them, so I was called upon many, many times. However, I don't know what pictures they were in. I just did the scream and then went back to whatever else I was doing at the time. It really was a busy, busy period in my life. I worked with the same people over and over again, so it is sometimes hard to remember all the details. Incidentally, some people used to confuse Ann Nagel with me. We worked in a few pictures together, and I did a lot of publicity. And we did a lot of publicity together, and I can see some similarities. I think she should have gone much further. Her coming to Universal was really a step down. So, and Gwen, you might have heard her scream in movies that she had nothing to do with. <laughs> That's great. So we've got the comically bickering couple mm-hmm. with the two of them. We've got the, vigil- the vigilante mm-hmm. doctor, uh-huh. right? We've got. A little bit of the cop stuff going on here because, like I say, we've got a cop character who's definitely a part of the film, but not too much a part of the film because, mm. remember, this mm. thing's got to be solved by our private yeah. detective main character. Mm. We can't have the cops doing this and it all mm. being off screen by some other body. Mm. So you got that, just a little bit of that. Mm. You got a little bit of the comic relief going with Amanda Moreland mm. and the not very comic relief with Shep Howard. <laughs> yeah. And we also have a bevy of... Characters who may or may or may not factor into the story, right? And it's there where things get weird because, well, mm. we've already mentioned Lionel Atwell, and of course, he was used to sell this picture. His face is big on the yeah, freaking right, ad right. ad art for mm-hmm, this film. Mm-hmm. So, and it's Lionel Atwell, so we all we all know what we're expecting. Yeah, Lionel by this Atwell's, point, he's established himself as the Mad Doctor. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, okay, mm-hmm. he's gonna be mm-hmm. 
Dr. X. And he's lurking around yeah. a good chunk of the film, just here, briefly here yeah. and there, here and there, here and there. But if you're a big Lionel Atwell film, don't get excited about this movie. No, no. Because it's 61, oh, it's 66 minutes long, and his total amount of screen time is about five minutes. Yeah, if that, yeah. It's not yeah, much. Yeah, it's, it's not a lot. Now, what he does, mm-hmm. especially near the end of the movie, mm-hmm. is... Choice acting. He's very mm. good. But then again, it's Lionel Atwell. Yeah. He's always mm-hmm. freaking good. I'm not going to spoil the film for you yet. <laughs> We're going to spoil this film, and I'm going to warn you now, because I want to talk about the ending, and I want to I want to talk about some of the, the disappointments and the weirdnesses that come with watching this movie all the yeah. way through. So we are going to spoil this film. So be aware, if you're worried that uh, having the Strange Case of Dr. Rx spoiled for you, your your warning has now come. Snap. There yeah. it is. Yeah. The film but, is easy enough to see, so you, know, you shouldn't right. have much trouble checking it out before you listen to it. I posted it up on YouTube. It's yeah. sitting on YouTube. You can watch it there. Although, yeah. I do recommend the Blu-ray. Yes, very nice. It's tasty. And has a nice little uh, extra that focuses mm-hmm. on Lionel Atwell. Mm-hmm. But, so you have to have enough characters milling around in this barely an hour long movie. Gotta have the suspects. Exactly. Gotta <clears> have <throat> the people that we can think are viable possibilities mm-hmm. for our bad guy. Yeah. But a lot of those characters are barely there. Right, yeah. To the point where Everybody's expecting it to be Lionel Atwell. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's the freaking name. And he's wearing these thick glasses that make his eyeballs look like they're... Anyway. Mm. Also, the point that the audience is going to likely just think, okay, well, the mystery is not who the killer is. The mystery is going to be how long will it take our detective to put to figure out that it's this guy that we all know is the killer. And remember, we told you about spoilers. Yes. Of course, Lionel Atwell is yeah. not the killer. No, he's not. His name is Dr. Fish. Yeah. Which is an odd name. And I'm assuming it's just because his eyes are swimming around in these bizarre fish tank glasses. Yeah, the, 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 gold, the goldfish bowl goldfish glasses. Goldfish bowl glasses he's wearing. Possibly. That's a, <laughs> just get a reaction to that thought. Is a, I mean, that's good. Yes, I like, I like it. But what you have with the, uh, the, the madness of that is there are other characters in the film who are red herring characters. Characters mm-hmm. that are just introduced to, almost to be red herrings. Yeah, yeah. Well, you got this whole, I guess, gangster kind of character that they talk right. about that you don't actually meet till later on in the film, but they uh, mobster Ernie Paul, right? And uh, he, he's a, he's a guy who comes along and kind of forces our main character, the private detective, to stay on the case to actually get involved in the case, mm-hmm. which is weird. But you also have his uh, seductive, uh, hot little filly. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh yeah, right. Who's really just has one scene, but she kind of sizzles in it. I'm just like, who is this really one? I was like, who is this woman? Did you now you and look at? It? I didn't get a chance to get around to look up to oh, see if she the, did the, any uh, other. Uh, the act, the actress was uh, Jan Wiley. Yeah, and uh, Miss Wiley, who's even uncredited in the film. Yeah, she turns up in uh, She Wolf of London a few years later. Um, the the Brute, Brute Man, Man, Brute Man, which is a film I have a lot of affection oh, for. Oh sure, of course. How I can't, can I can't claim it's great. No, no, no. no. Uh, so let's see, Secret Secret Agent, Secret Agent X Nine, uh, The Master Key. Those are, uh, I think, those are serials. Oh. Uh, Cisco Kid Returns, The Living Ghost, Ooh. Almost Married, <laughs> Dick Tracy film. Uh, yeah, she's in. Uh, she plays. A, she has an actual character name in Dick Tracy versus Crime Inc. And she apparently has an uncredited role as a reporter at Xanadu in mm. Citizen wow. Kane. Wow. She only has about 39 credits, and a lot of them are listed as uncredited. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, but I mean, her one scene, you don't forget her, you know, it's like, uh, as she popped up, I even did a little shimp-powered, you know, kind of uh, flustered, <laughs> you know, it's like, whoa. 
we just wanted to see more of her character. I, she's she's very pretty, and that like you say that the mm-hmm. one scene that she's mm-hmm. in with Patrick Knowles, they, that's a sizzler of a scene. That's yeah. a good little scene. Yeah. But um, we also uh, other characters who who seem to be introduced just for the purpose of being uh, added to the suspect list is uh, let's see, there's uh, uh, Doctor Crisp or the Crispins, the, uh, the the lawyer's wife and mm-hmm. her mm-hmm. brother, mm-hmm. Uh, and so those those are you know who knows. Then there's uh, District Attorney Nason, mm-hmm. who we even have somebody mention that he's got uh, got the, got a motive of. Uh, uh, Possibly having a, a, a bird under his saddle about yeah. uh, wrong, you know, wrongful, wrongful acquittals in the first place. Um, so you know, a lot of possibility mm-hmm. is slung at him at least mm-hmm. for about two minutes, right? Before the film moves on to introduce other kinds of you know <laughs> various elements that this movie is just <laughs> slinging around well, sometimes yeah, right. at random. Yeah, but the um, the film is so short that it kind of you know all of these things being tossed into the mix. Unless something gets underlined, or it's, or if it's mm-hmm. someone that you definitely recognize, like Lionel Atwill, a lot of those red herrings just drift past you yeah. and kind of yeah. go in one ear out the other because the movie is jumbling so many things mm-hmm. together that you can't really concentrate for too long on any of them. And I don't know if that's good or bad, depending on how much mm-hmm. time that was put into trying to set up the the, mis- the mechanics of the mystery involved in this. Yeah. Because the idea of a movie like this is that we know we, we will figure out along with the the detective who the killer is yeah and maybe we're as the audience members you know we're peeking in through that fourth wall surely we will be able to see something that the detective does not uh, if the movie plays fair with you hint movie does not play fair with you no <laughs> not really no it doesn't <laughs> movie it doesn't. do not play fair with you no uh, there are a few little things that do point to who the mm killer does turn out to be mm-hmm. but uh it's such it, they're jumbled together in so many different weird ways yeah. that it that it, it's kind of a cl- mm-hmm. it's it doesn't nah, nah but that doesn't mean the movie isn't fun oh, and entertaining no, no here's a question right off about uh, like the killer knows that patrick knowles jerry church is retiring he pulls a lot of strings and puts a lot of things into motion to get him to unretire right why but i mean why would he have him come back you know, if he knows he's already like getting ready to go far, far away and won't be a threat to him, why does he go through all the uh, maneuvers to have him get on the case? Now, once he's on the case, of course, he comes through. He the killer puts all these things in motion to try and. I have a theory. Okay, okay, because I like to. I'm thinking like, wouldn't it have been easier to just let him go away and then he's not a threat to just solve the case and catch you? Unless the killer wants to be caught. There's always that. Precisely. Ah, okay. Okay. That that's where I that and that's something that I wish the movie had teased out yes, uh, because yes. that seems to me a really brilliant thing that could have been yeah. that could have issued straight from the mouth of mm-hmm. our man Lionel Atwell yeah. which is the idea that this person is so intent on bringing people wrongfully acquitted mm-hmm. to justice mm-hmm. that even he even wants himself brought to justice for the mm-hmm. crimes that he's doing yeah because he comes right to the very edge of where he could have said that and it would have made yeah I know we're getting way, way far ahead of it. I, I, you know, if we, I don't, I don't know where we, if we want to get this now. Let's just say that the explanation for I found to be a total Lionel Atwell's explanation for the killer's motives, to, I thought to be a complete bit of gobbledygook nonsense. <laughs> Had he said what you just said, would have been much better. Uh, yeah, I, agree. I, I don't know. We can get we can either get into it now or we can pick it back up. But I want to say, I say what, let's about, let's pick it back up. Let's let's yeah, let's, let's, let's take going. a okay. let's take a brief run through okay. the uh, the plot synopsis. Okay. Kit. Terry. Now wait a minute. Oh, so it was you. Still meddling in my affairs. 
Pretty rotten method to get ideas for your bum mystery stories. Or was this just another of your cute practical jokes? Why, I ought to break your neck. Why? Oh, there are a thousand reasons. Just give me one. Well, that silly guy from Bermuda who fed pretzels to the fish in the aquarium. I was only studying him. Yeah, night school. Well, you weren't taking a correspondence course from that redhead. Oh, that's, that was business. That was a legitimate suspect. Oh, suspect. She was guilty. The weird lipstick she spread around proved that. Well, I explained about that. If you hadn't been so jealous. Jealous? I wasn't jealous. My intelligence was insulted. That explanation needed crutches. All right, all right. Here we go again. This is where we left off a year ago. I was hoping your thick head absorbed some sense in South America. I had plenty of sense before I left for South America. At least I got you out of my hair, and I'll thank you to stay out. It'll be a pleasure. All right, shake on it. I'll uh, kiss on it. Oh, kid, for heaven's sake. All right. Now, one minute. As the picture opens, uh, once again, folks, <laughs> I should say I'm going to be using the Universal Horrors book, uh, their their description of the film, to take a to take a quick run through this. Mm-hmm. So, uh, as the picture opens, the police are investigating the fifth in a series of baffling murders in which the victims, all previously acquitted of various felony charges, have been struck down by an unknown Avenger who calls himself Doctor R X. Captain Bill Hurd of Homicide played by Edna McDonald, mm-hmm. uh, tries to enlist the aid of his close friend and former partner, Jerry Church. That's the Patrick Knoll character. Patrick, Patrick Knoll's character. And mm-hmm. I can't even talk. Uh, Church is now working as a private investigator. Church turns her down cold. He has decided to quit the racket once and for all and join his family's bond business. They have the quote, Did you say blonde business? <laughs> right, yeah. That is a, that's <laughs> yeah, a, that, that's yeah. not a that's a good little yeah, line. Yeah, not bad. Church is summoned to the Long Island estate of wealthy criminal lawyer Dudley Crispin, played by Samuel Hines. Mm-hmm. I really like his performance. And we've seen him before in Man Made Monster. Yes, indeed. <clears throat> They're playing a, a scientist. Yeah, he always plays either a scientist, judge, or like yeah. you know something like that. Crispin has defended three of the murdered men in court and is upset by his current shortage of clients. <laughs> <laughs> I get these people off. Yeah. And they get killed. Why are more people, why why are people coming to me and wanting me to be their lawyer? I don't understand. You've got to do something about this. Like, well, how about you? Yeah, I guess you do have to do something. you got to find this killer, right? Well, Church's on-again, off-again mm-hmm. fiancé, Kit Logan, played by Ann Gwynn. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kit Logan is a mystery and writer, uh, kind of an amateur sleuth herself. She reappears after a long absence and immediately takes charge of Jerry's affairs. Mm -hmm. After a quickie marriage, and I have to say, I I, I agree with this statement. They they put in parentheses here, tossed in, no doubt, to appease the Breen office watchdogs. Yes, but I have something to say about that, too, but go on. Okay, well, Kit uses her influence to get Jerry to drop the case. Now, um, let's talk about the marriage. Okay, I totally agree with what... That in what that said there, you know, that that's the reason that was in there. But I think that they having to do that, I found it very amusing the way they set you up, the way that they introduced, the way they revealed that they're married, I think, was one of the better comic yes. touches because they have Manton Moreland, uh, you know, they come to the, the door. And the first time we see them after we've seen them, you know, Obvi- establish the relationship, you know. suddenly we just see them. And it looks the way the scene is set up at first is trying to make you think for a second 
that they've actually just been shacking up, you know, that they've just, just you know, you don't they're, realize there's a passage of time. Doing, you think that, that they just... Doing that thing that, that people nobody, do. Yeah, that, that apparently nobody did in the 40s. You know, so <laughs> without being married. Yeah. Heaven but, forbid, my friend. That but it's gets, great because through his eyes, I mean, he's thinking the same thing. You know, he's thinking at first, you know, that they, you know, or, or we feel like yeah. he's, he's thinking that they've, you know, that this has just been an overnight thing. We don't realize there's been a passage of time. They've actually gotten together, courted and gone and, and decided to get married. And this is after the marriage. But I like the way that for a minute there, they kind of let the audience be a bit shocked at that time, taken aback by what's going on here. You know, it's, and I do wish the movie had followed through and them not having gotten married. Well, that they yeah, just, that they, they yeah. played it as, yeah. you know, two people who are in a relationship with each other, as opposed to, you know, we have, we have to see, we have to legally seal it or people are going to get all upset. Yeah. But you're asking Universal at this point to play, to not play it safe, and that's asking a, a lot. Yeah, for Universal. in the forties, in the forties, yeah. we're not, yeah, we're, we're we're not gonna have pro, we're not gonna yeah. have prostitutes. Yeah, yeah, we're not gonna have women. You know, uh, mm. women mm. who are gonna be uh, supposedly the uh, mm. the main character's uh, female sidekick be some hideous slut. Right. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> not a woman of ill repute. Not someone who would philander about, flounce about and and flash her undies at some man that she's unmarried to. Uh, no, no, of course not. Not in, not in, not in a slight bit. What would Bosley Crowther say? <laughs> yes, what would Bosley Crowther say? Um, <laughs> well, Kit's fears are... Um, oh, well, oh, she, 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 she get... Kit is... Has used no doubt the the fact that she's now married to this guy uh, as influence to get her husband to drop the case. Mm-hmm. Um, Doctor RX has just claimed his sixth victim right in the middle of a crowded courtroom, and we are shown this, and it is rather interesting how uh, we're shown this guy being acquitted, and then almost within just like about fifteen seconds, keeling over mm-hmm. and dying. Yeah, and uh, this is where we get introduced to Lionel Atwell's character who. Uh, claims to be a doctor and comes up and examine examines mm. him and mm. tells everybody this I can't do anything with this guy he's mm. dead mm. but and at that point you're like aha ah, he was in the room was, yes it's in this <laughs> fellow was in the room uh-huh. this doctor fish person what mm. is going on aha well Kit's fears are compounded after she visits the home of a former detective who has become a gibbering white haired idiot following a face to face encounter with Doctor R X. All of this beautiful exposition only increases our displeasure when the disappointments come. Um, that's him. That, I'm not going to agree with that. Yeah, no. I mean, it, it, don't get me wrong. They're disappointments. Yeah, but sure. I, I feel that... Uh, Can't be disappointed by really the, the most exciting scene in the film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Precisely. Uh, well, after much ado, Jerry finally agrees to Kit's demands... But before the newlyweds can hop a train to Boston where he can go sell bonds, Mm -hmm. uh, Church is kidnapped by a gang of thugs led by Ernie Paul. That would be the gangster. Yeah. Ernie is irate because the police have tagged him as suspect number one for the last Dr. Rx murder because the victim was a gangland rival of his. He forces Jerry to resume his investigation and exonerate him or else. Mm -hmm. While there, Jerry has him write you know, handwriting there because he wants to obviously check it against. He's checking him and, and, his, and his flunkies, yeah. Yeah, his flunkies as well. He's wanting to see uh, examples of their handwriting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, this is this is another one of those weird flavors that get tossed into this bowl, yeah. which is why why do we have a gang? Okay, so we got a gangster character now in here. Yeah, yeah. but the gangster character wants this guy to be caught. Yeah. So <laughs> okay, he's not really he's not a red herring. What the hell is going on here? Mm-hmm. So Jerry and his valet, that's uh, Horatio, played by Manton Moreland are abducted by a cowled stranger. This is mm-hmm. deep into the movie at this point. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, this is where we kind of first started to get any real kind of what we would call, I guess, universal horror atmosphere because in the big the, rainstorm, yeah. the car chase through the, you know, the rainstorm kind of starts to feel a little more like a, you know, a, a darker mm-hmm. thriller. And I have to admit the, uh, the crash, uh, because, um, it is. It is. A, it, it's. A, it's. There. There is a. There is a chase, and the cops are following along behind the car that has abducted uh, Jerry mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Manton. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Horatio character. Sorry. Yeah, Horatio Fitz. What's his name? Okay. Yeah, Horatio Fitz Washington. Fitz Washington. Yes. <laughs> well, they, they get. Uh, they get the. Uh, they're, they're racing along the road. It's. It's. It's a wet, dark night, and the cops are following them, mm-hmm. and. Um, the cops crash, mm-hmm. and I have to admit that crash was really, yeah, it was really good. effective. It was, yeah, really yeah. effective, uh-huh. even even though when Shemp Howard, who was driving and is apparently not that great a driver, yeah. uh, climbs his way out of the vehicle, it's like ah, oh, there's going to be something funny here. No, there isn't. No, no. It's that they can't even get something funny out of that. I'm no. Like, ah, yeah, yeah. Damn it! Damn it to <laughs> hell! But nevertheless, you're right. That is the exciting. That is that is mm-hmm. an exciting sequence. But at the same time, you're. You're right. This is where we finally get to something that would put this into the even slightly into the horror category because mm-hmm. now the they are abducted by this cowled stranger who's wearing a you know a cowl and a mask and uh, you can't we don't recognize his voice and he is, he claims to be Doctor Rx himself and uh, knocked unconscious. Church awakes to find himself strapped to an operating table opposite a caged. Ape. Yes. Yes. Now it's a man, it's a man in ape suit, so you know. And we're never have a problem with that. No. I mean, never. It's a, although I mean, it's kind of thing where part of you is applauding at the same time you're got big question marks coming your head, like what? You know, what but are we doing here? Now? You can't really be angry at having a, a an ape in the film, but but but, boy, but see yeah. here here this yeah. is the moment uh-huh. where it becomes slightly a horror film because yeah, hey, sure we got we got your mad doctor's lab. Mm-hmm. We yeah. got your raving mad doctor who's yeah. dressed like <clears throat> freaking Doctor Doom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's weird as shit. And the third ingredient is he's talking brain transferal. That's exactly. The key <laughs> so we get so we With got Manta yes. Moreland caged up in the corner. We mm-hmm. got a you know, we got a man in a gorilla mm-hmm. suit. I mean mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> a gorilla. We got uh, machinery arcing mm-hmm. lightning off of it. Hell, man. It's, We're in business it's here. A, it's essentially an Aurora kit come to life. It's like the the <laughs> lab, what what they call that series the mad the, the lab series. I don't know. I can't remember. The, you know the one with oh, all yeah, the lab yeah, lab yeah. characters and the torture devices and that the Aurora did. <laughs> so you know this 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 is like let's let's put it this way. At this point, the movie veers in that direction, and you're just yeah. you're just going okay. Well now <laughs> now we're uh, yeah. we're cooking. I'm not sure how this going to play out. Yeah, but we're cooking now. <laughs> well. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Rx, his identity concealed behind a surgical mm-hmm. smock and hood, details the motive behind his bizarre homicides. Mm-hmm. Quote, for every crime there is a punishment. Men who sin must pay a just penalty. Mm-hmm. Unquote. And then, in his best bedside manner, he adds, <laughs> You see in Bongo? <laughs> he is very stupid. Of course, he's pointing to the ape. Yeah. He is very stupid, mm-hmm. but he will be very smart. And you will be, well, not so smart. In other words, I am going to transfer your brains. (laughs) Then he attaches one end of the ape's chain to Jerry's table and watches with grim satisfaction as the curious ape pulls the helpless detective closer to his cage. 
Church blacks out, and the film fades to black. Now, pause for just a second and imagine a world in which this movie gets sold to television, and for some bizarre reason, the movie just ends right there. (laughs) Yeah. This movie would go down as a legendary what-the-fuck movie. Yeah, yeah. Imagine the movie ended right there. The credits credits run the end. That's it. Yeah. Imagine kids' reactions to that, seeing this movie in the 50s and 60s, uh-huh. and just the, the slack jawed, what the fuck? So this movie's like a murder mystery thing. Then we get Mad Scientist Slayer, Gorilla. Mm. It looks like that. It looks like our good guy's about to get killed by the gorilla and then fade to black and it's over. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I've been thinking about this for a couple of days sure, and actually yeah. thinking to myself, yeah. <laughs> uh, you, you know, no, no matter what you do when you're watching these movies, there's, there's things that occur to you after the fact. And it's like, imagine the movie ended yeah. right there. That'd be insane. It would have warped children forever. Yeah. Especially if we had just then one last scene of the, you know, gorilla in like a dressing gown, you know, sitting there in, the, in his apartment, you know, with Manta Marlin bringing him, bringing, bringing him his more tea and, you know. No, 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 no. Bring, bring him a martini and a, and banana. a banana. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> And Gwen comes in and she's leading, you know, Patrick Knowles on a chain, you know. <laughs> final, final line, I hate shaving his behind. <laughs> well, that'd be a bad movie. That's not good. But, okay, so let's leave my, my yeah. fantasy film that doesn't exist behind. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm sadly... Uh, the movie, the movie does not have this uh, this dark mm. dark ending that no, that, that I envision. So, um, <laughs> the next morning, the police discover Church and Horatio wandering aimlessly around the waterfront. Their hair turned dead white. We're, we're told this in voiceover. Yeah. We don't. We're not shown this right. We're told this by another character. Now it is at this point where. This movie could go in a hundred different directions at this point. There's literally mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. four or five different ways this movie yeah. could go from here. Mm-hmm. And um, your first time through, I don't know that there's any way for you to predict which way this movie's going to jump. No, no. And the way it jumps mm-hmm. is, in the end, I guess, kind of a, a way that you would expect a 1940s movie to jump. Yeah. I mean, because we have to have a, a rationalist explanation. Yeah. We have to have something that isn't too... Mm-hmm. I mean, because the, the movie didn't start off, you know, as a horror movie, so it really can't end as mm-hmm. one either. Even but you though. do have to have the guilty punished, too. Yeah. yeah even yeah. if the guilty is is punishing the guilty, you still, which is... Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll get to the weirdness uh-huh. of this. Remember, folks, we are going to we're gonna, we're gonna spoil this. There's a lot to talk about here, but we're going to... Yeah. <laughs> we, mm-hmm. we are going to spoil this. Well, the district attorney gathers everyone connected with the case around the unconscious detective's hospital bed. Well, it's not his hospital bed. It's no, his bed in his own house. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Fish, that's the Lynn Lightwell character, a stranger who has been seen following Jerry around town, is called forth prov- to provide medical testimony. He turns to Crispin, that's the lawyer, and requests the use of his pen. Uh-huh. Visibly shaken, the attorney removes the pen from his pocket, points it toward his chest, then drops dead. Church leaps out of his bed, dropping his phony white hairpiece, mm-hmm. but he is too late to prevent the suicide. Now, you might at this point think, fade to black, and then what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> if the movie faded to black, you'd have the yeah. same problem. Yeah. And the, you, by the way, you know the reason I keep envisioning the movie ending at weird junctures now that we're in the final act? 
because imagine the movie was only 60 minutes instead of 66 <laughs> minutes, right? It, it yeah, had to be like yeah. a tight, like 59 or 60 <laughs> minutes. So it's going to have to end somewhere right, around in there. Right. It's like, all you do is like lop off one chunk of the ending <laughs> and just leave everybody confused as fuck. <laughs> oh, I love that. Oh, that, yeah. that idea just, that, I, there, there's a part of it wants to like create that version of the film and try to find people who've never seen it and show that to them and see what happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess, I guess I'm a mad scientist in my own way. <laughs> told you the pen the pen he killed himself with and his victims had a strong steel spring in it that could project a poison needle about 20 feet and it only left a small red mark that go unnoticed in an autopsy that is unless the doctor knew what he was looking for all right but you still haven't explained the symptom of strangulation i figured that out coming in the quiet quiet well it's a poison from south africa and that's the way it works well how did you know it was crispin's pen well i saw it among the instruments when he had me on the operating table and i thought it was rather funny but you still haven't told me how you knew it belonged to him. It was an odd-looking pen, wasn't it, Heard? You never saw another one like it, did you? And Jerry remembered having seen it in Crispin's pocket. You get it? But did you catch this fish anyway? <laughs> Doc and I have unscrambled a lot of eggs together, haven't we, Doc? Yeah, well, we've unscrambled a lot of eggs together, too. But I'm your pal. You can double-cross me. You can bring in an outsider. But answer this. Why did he have those guys acquitted and then kill them? Tell him, Doc. The man had two phobias. Number one, he was an egomaniac with a desire to mesmerize the jury and get his client acquitted. Number two, he wanted to punish the criminal himself. It was a psychopathic case. Psychopathic me, I. He was cuckoo. Kit, wait a minute. The gorilla. How'd you get away from it? I'm a little hazy on that point myself, Sweeney. Everything was going along nicely. The gorilla dragged me up to the bars of the cage and suddenly the lights went out. Next thing I knew, I was wandering along the waterfront. The lights went out, huh? You mean you passed out? All right, so I passed out. As a matter of fact, Crispin didn't intend the gorilla to get me any more than he intended to operate. He just wanted to scare the wits out of me like he did Barney Scott. And I might add, he would have succeeded if I hadn't passed out. <laughs> oh, excuse me. What do you think of the phony white hairpiece gag? <laughs> I mean, because here's the thing. So we, we, we introduced earlier in the film the mm. idea that uh, Dr. Rx has, mm. has, has done this horrible thing where he, this previous detective mm. who was trying to figure out who Dr. Rx was uh, has frightened this guy so badly that he's just a, you know, he's a gibbering lunatic with white hair who's, you can't even, you know, his, yeah. his, his mother has to take care of him and he's a grown mm. man. Mm. Very strange thing. Nobody is believing <laughs> that yeah. the main character... Oh. oh, you want to talk about a dark ending? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're saying like, like, no, this cannot possibly be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like, eh, that didn't really happen. So we all know this is some kind of gambit that's being set up to try to trap the killer. So mm-hmm. all right, cool, cool, cool. But um, here's what that. Well, we find out. We found out that well, the, the yeah. whole thing. We found out the whole thing was for the killer. The killer was trying to do the same thing to him. Was trying to terrify him into being a catatonic, white-haired. Guy, yeah, trying to know. trying to scare him off or, but, or make turn him into a gibbering lunatic. But it brings up the problem if if Patrick Knowles is just wearing a wig and makeup. Obviously, when the doctor let him go, he right. didn't look like this. Right. And so now we're asking the killer to believe to fall for this. You know that now right. he's when he obviously let him go. Okay, let's let people in on this, folks. Yes. Of course, the the guy who committed suicide, the lawyer Crispin. Yeah, he's Doctor R. He's Doctor R. X. Right. And of course, what he's been doing is he's been using this this uh, this magical dart throwing pen, <laughs> yeah, to poison these people mm-hmm. and uh, uh, kill them that way. That's how Doctor Rx has been has been offing these folks. Um, 
which is you know all well and good if you if you want to get into you know weird you know, Dr. Mabusa ways of yeah. killing people. Yeah. Cool. Fine. We're all we're all right to a degree. We'll discuss yeah. the details yeah. of this whole poison thing yeah. in, a, in a minute. But what we have here, what this means is the way this film is laid out. Mm-hmm. Well, one, it shows us that this, yeah, this wasn't a finished script. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, yeah, let's discuss this. Let's well, be blunt about what that. This, what this means is that we have a character who's a detective who's about to retire, but is convinced by several different people, including the killer himself, to stay on the case, to try to find out who the killer is. The killer is one of the people mm-hmm. getting our main character to try to find the killer. Mm-hmm. So this, you know, mm-hmm. this this is what, of course, put in my mind the idea that the he idea, wants to be caught. Yeah, he wants to be caught. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. that means that Doctor Crisp, or, or I'm sorry, Lawyer Crispin, Doctor Rx, is there trying to scare him into being a gibbering lunatic? Okay, stop right there. Yes. So are we dealing with a split personality? Mm-hmm. Something else yeah. that this movie could have could teased have. out. Yes. Could have turned turned into something mm-hmm. you, want, you want to talk about something dark and interesting and kind of definitely in the horror vein well because that would one, be that because here's one thing that i found really one of the most interesting aspects was this aspect of a vigilante killer because i was sitting there thinking like i don't know how that has been done this much before in hollywood to this point you know as far as the idea of a of a villain or a mad scientist or whatever it was you know or right. a villain you know the idea of a, a vigilante who is who is who is punishing other Evil or punishing, punishing people. Bad people. I don't yeah. know how much that. I really don't know if that was a really common thing still at this point in in films. Well, I don't know. We have you know you, at that point you have things like Batman. Well, yeah, yeah. But, so yeah, so there's but Batman there's a, is still doesn't cross that, that line of killing. You know, or are supposed to not to. Well, you know, he yeah. does. First but, couple, you know, first yeah, couple, yeah, yeah. Those first, yeah. Well, you also have you know the Spider. Yeah, yeah. All those different pulp heroes who, you know, you know pulp heroes who you know. We're definitely working outside the law as vigilantes. Yeah. So there's a little bit of that kind of creeping into it, kind of the pulp mm-hmm. super pulp yeah. hero thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, we're not talking necessarily films, though, right? No, definitely not. Yeah. I mean, uh, there I, had they had, there had been a spider serial by this point. Mm-hmm. I think I think by this point the spider serial had happened. The spider's yeah. web. I mean, you'd had vigilantes for sure. You know, when was the but, Batman serial? And, and of course, Batman was around as well in comic books. But I'm not. I can't remember exactly mm-hmm. when the serials. The, the the first serial came out. It was it was definitely in the early forties though. Yeah. You certainly have plenty of vigilantes. I guess I guess what I'm thinking more is the vigilantes who outright murdered, you know. Well like the shadow that, you know? the shadow yeah. well, the shadow the spider. Is pretty brutal. That's true. That's yeah. So that that's definitely, you know, mm. bad guy killing bad guys. Yeah. So and the spider is definitely bad guys. Bad yeah. the spider is psychotic <laughs> yeah, psychotic right. bad guy who thinks yeah. he's a good guy yeah. killing bad guys. Yeah. So yeah. Um it, it, it's an interesting question, but yeah, mm-hmm. that is a great idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the fact that it turns out to be, okay, so Dr. Rx turns out to be one of the people who's making sure this detective is hunting mm-hmm. for Dr. Rx. Mm-hmm. And then goes through the same process of trying to scare the holy shit and just yeah. basically destroy the mind yeah. of... Of a guy who's basically on the fourth side of good, which totally negates kind of right. his... You know, which is why I wish this movie yeah. were a little bit longer and a little bit better written, so we get the idea of a split personality who's actually attempting mm-hmm. to catch himself. Yeah, which is, which is an amazing idea, mm-hmm. and, it, and mm-hmm. that has been done later on in different films. Yeah, but it's it's so horrible to see this teased here. The well, idea is lurking there under the surface. Okay, well, okay, so go ahead and do your explanation of the pen because oh. then I want to get into the. 
explanation of the killer's motivation, which bugs me. So you go ahead and get into. It. Oh well, I mean, all all that is is um, well, or the poison. I, I'll, just, I'll just keep going through this. Is mm-hmm. uh, so Doctor Crispin uh, kills himself with this pen. Later, Jerry and Doctor Fish, who he learned had been working with Church all along, mm-hmm. explained the foggy details of the case to the bewildered police captain and her. audience. Yeah, and the audience. Yeah. The man had two phobias, yes. Fish states. Here we go. Number one, he was an egomaniac with a desire to mesmerize a jury and get his clients acquitted. Acquitted. Number two, he wanted to punish the criminal himself. A psychopathic case? <laughs> okay, I, I ran this bit of dialogue back several times. Just make sure, am I hearing this right? You know, it's like, <laughs> okay, first of all, neither of those are phobias. <laughs> no, they are not. Okay, so all right, off you can scratch that word as being totally wrong, wrongly used. You're, you're tossing around, you're tossing around a word that most yeah. people in public would have heard and thought you know, and think that somehow exactly. this is this like adds credence yeah. to your to your argument. It does not. No. <laughs> and he says, "Yes, an egomaniac who wanted to mesmerize a jury." Yeah, that that line too. I kept having to run it back. He's really saying that mesmer, mesmerize a jury and and win his case. Um, but the second part too is the you know is the wanted to punish the criminal himself. Uh, a psychopathic case, like really, is that? I don't know that that makes is that necessarily a psychopath in that you know that that explanation, maybe kind of, but but I think it does. What you said, that last thing he says, does sort of lead to where he could have then segued into. I mean, it would have segued straight would, into what I keep thinking. Think which it would have been most more interesting, yeah. Which means that while he wanted to punish the 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 guilty who mm-hmm. gotten off scot free, mm-hmm. he knew that he was also someone who was. Mm-hmm getting away with murder mm. and wanted himself to be caught as well. Mm. Yeah. That would, you know, yeah. taking it, taking mm. the dialogue in that direction would have, would have led us down this, this path that would have made this ending mm. feel a little bit more like a, a real piece of, uh, let's, let's call it a, a closing argument for the movie. Yeah. And, and I, I do kind of wish too, that they had brought back his wife, in this scene, because she disappears about halfway through the movie. And it's never seen again. And I thought it would have been really interesting to have had her somehow involved at the ending here to shed some kind of light onto, even even if it's revealed that she knew what he was doing, or even if it's revealed that she suspected or something. Yeah. I would have liked her to have been brought back, because she was kind of an interesting because, character. Because then she could have added some yes, bit just of added detail something that would have that yeah. added to, the, it yeah. added to uh, this, you know, this crazy-ass ending. Yeah. Uh, well, it says... Uh, Crispin's instrument of murder was a pen that projected poisonous darts, which left no trace on the victim's body. That's a problem. Jerry noticed the strange-looking pen among Doctor Rx's lab instruments when he was strapped down to that mm. gurney, <laughs> yeah. and and uh, you know, you know, trying to dodge the flakes mm. of drool from the crazed you know, ape. Now I forgot to on my rewatch. On your rewatch, did you look to see if the pen is in this any of those scenes anywhere? Oh no, I didn't. I didn't look that close because that's cheating the audience. If it's not somewhere there, oh, that, even right. if it was just you wouldn't want to show it up close, but just somewhere where the audience could have yep. possibly spotted it. If it's not, then you're cheating. Well, another tip-off was the manner in which the lawyer signed his name, Dudley Crispin. The misplaced capital R mm-hmm. in Crispin matched uh, that appearing in the RX murder notes tagged on each victim's corpse. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to agree with a little bit of what is said next in the okay. Universal Horrors book here, <clears throat> okay. and then we'll get well, then then we'll get to the the pen question, okay, or the poison question, I should say. Okay, with a mo- more coherent script, a plausible ending, and less ham-fisted humor by fourth stooge Shemp Howard, the strange case of Dr. Rx might have amounted to something more than just a barely passable time killer. I'm going to stop right there and I'll come Mm -hmm. back in a second. Mm -hmm. 
I kind of agree there. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about the the pen and the poison. <laughs> we, we're we're shown up until we see one of the murders take place where the guy just keels over mm-hmm. in the courtroom. We're told that the previous deaths have all been strangulations. Yeah. So now here at the mm-hmm. end, they know we got to come up. We've with some, written ourselves in a corner. <laughs> right. We got to come up with a way in which these those previous murders mm-hmm. that happened before the movie even started mm-hmm. can be you know somehow explained away with this poison. Somehow this poison's got to so the so the poison becomes something that they just in one a single line of dialogue says hey, yeah. well, that's how the poison works. <laughs> <laughs> that's how the poison I get what the, yeah. the, the, the poison you know wraps a cord around it, your neck and strangles you and pota- that's some fucking puts, amazing poison that's a poison big brutish handprints on your neck and I look like <laughs> <laughs> so now I can understand if it said if it said they said that they, if they had said that they all appeared to have suffocated then you could just say the poison constricted the, constricted throat. the throat but they're saying strangulated you know which, yeah, saying which, which it means an active something yeah, on that, that means there's marks on the throat yeah, yeah. where someone or something <laughs> was wrapped around it and tightened until they could not breathe. Correct? <laughs> anyway, that is uh, one of a myriad of, mm. uh, shall we say, tiny slash irritating problems yeah. built into the structure, yeah. built into the way this there's, thing was constructed. There's a clumsiness in the movie yes. that's, yeah, a kind of a, sh- a slipshod way the film... Yeah. appears to be thrown together and made that does keeps it from being a level above what it what it is. Now I'm going to read this line. I'm mm-hmm. see if you're amused, as amused by it as I am. Okay. Uh, the Universal Horrors book continues. The germ of a good idea is there, but Clarence Upton Young disinfects it mm-hmm. by overloading his screenplay with irritating detours and extraneous details. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, those extraneous details and irritating detours are kind of the things that set up the red herrings. Those are the things that a mystery of this type would have to have. Yeah. So, yeah. Eh, I understand the complaint. Yeah. Or wanting to complain yeah. because the movie's not as satisfying as it should be. But. But if it stretched a sixty-minute movie to sixty-six minutes, how can you really yeah, be bothered too much about exactly. that? Exactly. <laughs> now, this is this is the story's horror elements are, to put it charitably, patently absurd. Poison dart throwing mm-hmm. pins have never numbered among Hollywood's <laughs> more credible murder weapons. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm going to agree with you there. Uh, the, the poison that Crispin used, quote-unquote, strangled the victims after it had entered the bloodstream. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. So the, the poison weirdness is a little, uh, shall we say, hard mm-hmm. to swallow? <laughs> <laughs> nice, well done, well done. Ooh. The man who hates puns just Ooh. made a... <laughs> Ooh, no, that was a joke. Let's that not... was a joke, that's right. That's <laughs> that was not... That's not... <laughs> if that was a pun, I regret it. That was a bon, I regret, I regret it was a bon mot. Yes, a bon mot. So, I am so witty. <laughs> so witty. Oh, my God. Uh, well, I will admit that it, it's fairly impossible to figure out who the murderer is. Yeah. yeah. Because the movie does a good job of having front-loaded the fact that Lionel Atwell's in the movie yeah. makes you think, oh, it's going to be Lionel Atwell. No matter what else happens in this movie, when, when, when all you know, when push comes to shove, we get down to the final few minutes, it's going to be Lionel Atwell. And it's not. It's Lionel Atwell mm. <laughs> being the character at the end of Psycho explaining everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what's going on here. <laughs> so I, let's put it this way. I enjoy this movie. Mm-hmm. I do not think it's great. No. I do not think that it is uh, in any way, shape, or form a classic. But it did its job in yeah. that it entertained yeah. me for a little over an hour. Yeah, um, yeah, you know, there's there's too many ingredients in the stew. There, mm. there, there really are. There, there, there are too many things there. But 
the reason there are so many things there is because that's how you construct a murder mystery of this type. You, mm. you got to keep the audience from concentrating on anything too long, or they might figure some shit out. Mm. Unless you're just actively hiding all of it, <laughs> which is something that is done as well. But the joys I find in this movie are it's kind of breezy and fun. Yeah. Uh, I, I like here's here's where I here's where I uh, may end up on the wrong side of some people. Mm-hmm. I'm not a particular fan of Patrick Knowles. I think we've talked a little bit about mm-hmm. this before. Mm-hmm. I think he's a little bland. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have to admit that in this, he's less bland than average. For Agreed. Me. Agreed. I, I think there's enough written on the page about this character and in the way uh, he's allowed to play it where um, if there was more of this Patrick Knowles and some of the other performances I've seen from him, mm-hmm. uh, I, would be, I, would, I, would, I would think more highly of him as an actor. Well, yeah, I was going to say the same thing about him. Is I, I do like him the most I have in this film. And he's, you know, this is our second straight time seeing him as a detective. Yeah. And I buy him much more in this film than I did in the Mr. Marie Roger in the French, and as a French detective. And, yeah. you know, in France, I, I think he fits much more in this mold. And he also works better not playing second banana to a monster. You know, it's, 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 it's like he is in some later, you know, later, later films. Or, Agreed. And, and in fact, this was made, what's funny is this was made, uh, I think, um, uh, in late few months, uh, but yeah, it was made a few, and it was actually made a few months before the Wolfman, but didn't come out. This film itself wasn't released, I think, for about maybe five months or so. So by the time this came out, or six months, it was completed before the Wolfman, yeah. but it took six months to release this film. So actually, it was released after the Wolfman. But um, you know, it was obviously Universal had a certain image of this guy that they were trying to put across, and I think it works better in this film. And I, I in this, I, I like him in this role. He has kind of a nice um, laid-back kind of lanky presence, you know, yeah. and I think it's it works in films where he basically towers over everybody else in the in the cast. Unlike when he's like working with the Frankenstein monster, you know, here he's <laughs> here he's actually him next to Manton Moreland is just visually funny. Even before they do anything, the height difference is True. just amusing. They work well together for that, and so because he has that kind of, I like his presence in this film and as this character works better for me than most times I've seen him. And you're getting to one of the reasons why I think I like him in this movie more than I've liked him in previous performances, mm-hmm. is that uh, he spends most of his time interacting with um, Manta Moreland's character, mm-hmm. and I'm, you know, I've said it before, and I'll say it another hundred times. Uh, Manta Moreland brings the level of the room up, yeah, in er- yeah. in everything that he ever does. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be one of the crappiest movies you've ever seen, but mm-hmm. if, I guarantee you this: if Manta Moreland's on there for on that uh, on that screen for a few minutes, mm-hmm. you're gonna you're gonna enjoy watching whatever he does. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he's funny without without uh, being without he's funny without degrading himself. He's funny without being an idiot, and he's funny without being um, that that most horrible of things that sometimes uh, like the character step and fetch it sometimes turns into sure. yeah where it can be kind of yeah okay. where it's kind of uh, where it's insulting <laughs> yeah yeah um, exactly. See, I go. I always go back to Manta Moreland being such a great part of a lot of those uh, later Ch- uh, yeah, Charlie, Charlie Chan. I films, was thinking of those too. Yeah. Playing playing Birmingham Brown, where mm-hmm. his primary job primary job is to be funny and scared, mm-hmm. and uh, he's really good at both. But he's much better at being funny. Mm-hmm. And uh, anytime that he's allowed to shine, and when he has someone he can he can spark with, where there's some some real chemistry going on, that's cool. 
And uh, there's some there's some some neat stuff going on with him and Patrick Knowles. It feels as if they rehearsed some of that stuff between the two of them mm-hmm. before the cameras rolled, and so it seems it it just rolls pretty well. Yeah, it does. Something else that makes Patrick Knowles' performance seem a little bit better is that he and Anne Gwynn are really they, good together. Yeah, I agree. They have a nice rapport. I like that. But, they have good yeah. chemistry together. I enjoy mm-hmm. watching them. They play off each other very well, and uh, once again, you get the feeling that those actors had sat down, mm-hmm. done some rehearsing, mm-hmm. had gotten their shit together, because I think that everybody in this in this film was aware that the script wasn't up to snuff. It wasn't yeah. something yeah. because they ended up apparently mm-hmm. improvising some mm-hmm. of the dialogue, writing some of the dialogue themselves, because some of it felt unfinished or there were just things yeah. that needed to be fixed. Uh, and Gwen has said that that was true, and apparently so did Patrick Knowles. And if this is true, and it appears, and there's no reason mm-hmm. to, to, to dispute it, yeah. I'm betting you money that these actors got together, ran their lines, went through them, rewrote some, practiced, and that's why the stuff between when 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 we're in these scenes where it's a two hand thing between Patrick Knowles and Manton mm. or Patrick Knowles and Anne Gwynn, we're talking about some stuff that really feels natural and makes the movie move. Yeah, uh, you don't the, the the film doesn't feel bogged down in those sequences because it feels it feels as if this is a finished. Scene, yeah, yeah, as opposed to something where somebody's searching around trying to find something funny or trying to find a reason to get out the door yeah. and let the scene end, right? So, um, it is. Um, I know when we started talking about this movie, one of the things that got us excited was the fact that hey, Madam Morland and Shemp Howard are in it, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Shemp is a he's a he's a he's a he's a wet fish in this, yeah, doesn't he? Doesn't come off, yeah, there's just nothing, no, nothing that he's able to pull off on yeah. screen. Ever made me laugh, and I, I, yeah, I apparently you feel the same way. Yeah, I do. Yeah, so, I love Shim, but not not in this. Not in this. Not in this. This, no. is, this is a this is a disappointment. Now, Lionel Latwell only has about five minutes yeah. of screen time, yeah. but he's mm. he's great. Yeah, yeah. There's never been a smoother deliverer of dialogue. No, he's great. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. he's just even if the dialogue itself is nonsense, he can yeah. make it work. Yeah. While he's speaking it, I'm believing it. Yeah, yeah. and that's just the way it is. Mm. Uh, and I have to say, the rest of the cast is is good as well. The the actor mm. playing uh, Crispin. Good actor. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I I really liked him. If if like I say, if if, if there'd been more meat on that uh, that final act, mm-hmm. to to give that actor instead of him just you know killing over dead. Yeah, if there'd been a chance for him to kind of, uh, I don't know, do something physical mm-hmm. or uh, have mm-hmm. some kind of you know statement or try mm-hmm. to find some way to weasel out of the room or yeah. to get away from uh, mm-hmm. Doctor Fish. So some some yeah. something for him to do in that scene other than yeah. I just don't think we're ever really left with a clear view of why he's. Yeah. What, what made him who he was, made him do what he did, just something didn't have to, you know, we didn't need a scene as long as the one at the end of Psycho explanation. We just, but we needed a little more there from some something, you know. True, it. true, true. But it would, like I say, he's, he's a good actor. Mm-hmm. What he's called yeah. upon to do, yeah. he does well. Mm-hmm. I just, like I said, I wish there was a bit more of it. Mm-hmm. There, there are other good things in the film as well, mostly revolving around. We've already talked about some mm-hmm. of the other, some of the other actors who we thought were quite good, even in mm-hmm. tiny roles. Mm-hmm. But, um. It's not. It's not a classic. No. It's it's fun. A fun little you know time waster. <clears throat> yeah. It will not. I, I don't. I, I'll, it didn't bore me. It mm. might bore other people. Yeah. There, I'm sure there are people who would consider it one of the one of the weakest of the mm. of the uh, the universal 1940s horror films, quote unquote horror films. And uh, I, I could. I wouldn't argue too hard that it's one of the weakest. I would probably say, yeah, I can see why. That's a good. You you've got some points to make there. You yeah. Do. Yeah. But um, I can't work up any anger toward it. I can't feel oh, no. bad about no. it. No, no. I mean, I think in my notes I kind of summed it up, which, by the way, I'll go and say I gave it a five. Okay. Know, that was my rating. And I put it put it there. I 
I can't hate it. I can't love it. But it, but it was fun. It was fun. I, I didn't hate watch. I didn't, you know, I didn't yeah. want that 66 minutes back, you know, my <laughs> life. I, I, I enjoyed it. And, and I, even the second time through, because I was wanting to see if things, if any things, anything meshed better the second time through. Mm-hmm. Some things do, some things don't, you know, but that's always good, especially with films like this, you know, to see second time around, okay, maybe is it a little tighter than I thought it was? Is something actually line up a little better? Uh, and it helps you to appreciate once you do know the basic story to appreciate the other things that it does well. Um, I do want to say getting back to the talk, we talked just a minute about some of the cast and the characters is I will say, regardless of my kind of basic indifference towards this film, you know, and not a hateful indifference, but just, you know, I I kind of, you know, I liked it, you know, it was enjoyable, but just kind of a, a, a mediocre film overall, I would actually have not minded to have seen another film or two, you know, with these same characters with better written mysteries. In other words, if they might have had in the back of their heads the Nick and Nora Charles things, as we said, right. had this film took off and been a big hit, I could actually have, would not have minded if seen another attempt with the same cast of surviving characters. Yeah. Even down to some of the secondary, like, you know, once we establish now that the Lionel Atwell character is a scientist that works with the detective, now that we've established that, that might be fun aspect to play into a next film. Same with Manton Moreland and Gwen. A good good guy character, a a good guy reoccurring character by Lionel Atwill, what a change that would have been. Like I said, yeah, Manton Moreland and Gwen, even the guy playing the the police chief. The police captain, yeah. I wouldn't mind seeing a a couple of better constructed mysteries using these same characters and actors, I think, could have been fun. That could have been been, been something that would have been worth seeing. I agree with you. I agree. Um, I ended up up giving it a six because Mm -hmm. I I do enjoy watching it. Mm Five is probably a better, a better read on <laughs> mm. what the film. Well, really I did is. waffle between a five yeah. and a six. Kind of fell on five, but six had. I was considering a six. But, but the thing is, when I'm watching it, I'm enter- <clears throat> I'm entertained <throat> by it. <throat> I really am entertained. So, you know, that's the way it goes. Uh, I did. Uh, I did want to read off a couple of quotes here. Oh yeah, please. That I think are fun. Um, from a- from Anne Gwen, she talks about making of the case of uh, uh, the strange case of Doctor Rx. She really enjoyed it. She says, making the film was fun, fun, fun. It was done off the cuff. I would go home at night and study my lines, only to arrive the next morning to learn that everything was thrown out. <laughs> it didn't take me too many nights to know to just go home and relax. <laughs> there was no telling what to expect the next day. But it was an anxious uh, it was an anxious to get to the studio feeling, that was for sure. Like in The Black Cat from 1941, which mm. she was in with yes, Roger right, Crawford. Right. Uh, the ad-libs were used, only much more so in Dr. Rx. Hmm. Each of us would suggest things, and the director, William Nye, would use them. That was just great, an experience I never had before or since. Uh, Of course, as a result, there are some plot loopholes in the finished product, but who cares? It was an hour of laughs and chills, a real crowd pleaser. And that's kind of how I feel about the movie as well. I think that's kind of where I fall, which is why eh, I'll go with a six instead of a five. And I like this little quote from uh, Patrick Knowles, who said, uh, Working with Anne was a great joy. And Lionel Atwell and I shared dirty stories during the entire production. In other words, these these guys got along fine. Now, that's something I'd love to hear, too, is Lionel Atwell told a dirty story. It would have been fantastic. With that leer, that Lionel Atwell leer would have just been been the best. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) Oh, my goodness, goodness, goodness. I do love it. Um, Well, let's go to Critics Corner. Oh, yes. Here we go. Now uh, I've already already yeah. told you that unfortunately our uh. our beloved <laughs> our beloved man critic favorite 
favorite tough critic, guy critic is not is not represented in the reviews of this particular film from the from the period. Yeah. Sad to say, but there's some no Bosley here. Crowther. It's like no, I think I think it Bosley, no Bosley Crowther looked so far down his nose that he couldn't see this film at the end of it. So that's I think fun. perhaps he was on vacation and just lucked out and didn't have to do this one. Yeah, <laughs> because God knows he wouldn't have enjoyed it. Uh, <laughs> From the New York Sun, March 28th, 1942. Mm. I don't know who played the gorilla, but he was the most convincing actor in the cast. <laughs> we can tell you it was Ray Crash Gorgon. Yes, it was. Oh, my God. Okay. Um, here's, a, here's, a, here's a good one. From the New York Post, March 28th, 1942. Uh, signed by Irene Thierer. Mm-hmm. The film is a better than average B from Universal. William Nye's direction is fast-paced. In the accepted whodunit tempo. Mm-hmm. So, okay. enjoy though. Okay. Uh, from John T. McManus from the P- from PM New York on March 31st, 1942. Every studio has its favorite B-picture recipe. Here is Universal's. One penthouse set preserved from top of the town. <laughs> One eerie Long Island estate complete with Mastiff. One Karloff model metaphysical diathermal apparatus with autom- automatic brain changer. One gorilla in good fur. One dumb cop. One smart cop. One blonde. Add corpses to taste. <laughs> that's actually pretty good. That's, that's good. A, that's pretty good. I love that. I want my own brain changer. That's what it means. That's a, <laughs> sounds like something Vincent Price would sponsor as a toy for your kid. You know, the Vincent Price brain changer. <laughs> that, that, that was John T. McManus. So give that that's pretty credit. good. That's pretty good. Uh, from Wanda Hale, writing in the New York Daily News, March 28th, 1942. Mm-hmm. A two-star rating. It's gory, but unreasonable and disconnected, like a nightmare. The comedy is flat, the direction choppy, and what the story proves is beyond us. Maybe you can get it. We didn't. <laughs> I love her use of the word gory. Obviously, gory is a, a gory must mean just death, or something suggested. Just people die. People so it's die gory. on screen. <laughs> Off screen. Well, no, there's yeah. people. There's people who do die, die on screen. I mean, they they keel over and are pronounced yeah. dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Theodore Strauss, The New York Times, March twenty eighth, nineteen forty two. A collection of babbled clues. Butlers at windows and gloomy manses, mysterious messages, stupid policemen, leers by Lionel Atwill, and matrimonial bandage, or bandage, most of which is beside the point. <laughs> I must have missed the gloomy manse in there. Well, I guess they're talking about the guy yeah. with the mastiff. It was sort of a manse yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Harrison's Reports. That was apparently a magazine, I guess. April 4th, 1942. This is a horrible example of a horror picture, or whatever it was meant to be, but a good example of a production that should not have been made in the first place. The story is unintelligible, it leads nowhere, and ends in the same place. <laughs> That's not bad. No, it isn't. It isn't. It's a bit harsh, but, but, but you know. <clears throat> the Film Daily, April 2nd, 1942. The torturous course of the plot is so complicated and muddled, the audience will be lucky if they can unravel the whole mess at all. As per formula, one of the mildest in the parade of characters turns out to be the louse. <laughs> well, yeah. That's yeah, that's true. Wrong. And also, illogically, is somebody pushing the detective to figure out who the killer is. <laughs> but that is the way things go. So, one last question on this film for you. Sure. After watching it that, that night, the next night, a couple of nights after, did you just suddenly wake up in the middle of the night, two or three in the morning, and say, but what happened to the gorilla? <laughs> 
my God, no, I did not. I mean, I, it took me a while too, but I eventually thought like, you know, uh, my thing of reason I love this movie more than any is that we it ends with a gorilla at large, and that's <laughs> that's always a happy ending to the movie. <laughs> no, I didn't, it didn't even yeah. cross my mind to yeah. even think about what that happened to the freaking gorilla. You're right. Ray Corrigan, the gorilla, is is free out there roaming somewhere to swap his brain with someone or terrorize three nitwits or do whatever is he going to do in whatever, his future. There. Whatever insane thing is going to happen the next time he's in that stupid ass suit. <laughs> Oh my lord! No, it did not occur to me at all that yeah, we used to somewhere in a cage is a gorilla still. <laughs> I gotta go find that sucker. And a brain changer. So. Yeah, next to the a brain changer. The, 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 the fake brain changer. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh man, huh? I forgot all about the ape. But then I'm always often forgetting about the ape, which is how Mr. Hudson. I know fucks it's because you can't see him because most times you can't see him. Oh god, I hate that fucker. Anyway. <laughs> Folks, hang on a second. We got mail. We got mail. We'll come back and uh, read a few of them out and let uh, let a few other people's opinions of this film mm-hmm. flow forth as well. Hey, I'm so glad you could make it. Welcome to my little podcast here, Bill Watches Movies. I'm Bill Mize. I'm the host and creator, and I'll be helping you today. Now, we're a podcast that's a little different from the other ones out there. We start off with a rich and aromatic blend of B-movie weirdness. Then we fold in some Hollywood history and biography. And finally, at the end, we sprinkle just a bit of old-time radio ambiance for that finishing touch. Now, we think that that unique combination will bring you an audio experience that you'll want to enjoy again and again. Each month, we'll serve up a story that will entertain you and bring a smile to your face. I do hope that you'll subscribe and try an episode. They're a wee bit naughty, but won't go directly to your waistline. Now, to learn even more, you can always go to our website, BillWatchesMovies.com, for show notes, blog posts, resources, and just general dorkitude. Now I'm also on Twitter. Just search for Bill Watches Movies. I'm pretty easy to find, and I would absolutely love to hear from you. Thanks again for checking us out. Relax, enjoy the music, and then enjoy the show. Here's what some people are saying about the Projection Booth podcast. The Projection Booth is single-handedly the greatest film podcast you could ever listen to or could possibly want. Top-notch. Five stars. This has quickly become one of my favorite film-related podcasts. Always interesting. A completely unpretentious yet fully comprehensive look at films from all genres. The Projection Booth podcast with new episodes available every week at projectionboothpodcast.com. Well, first, I did ask uh, if anybody online, anybody uh, out there in the world had anything that they would like to add to the conversation about Dr. Rx, and uh, had a couple people chime in, and I was pleased oh, with those. Okay. Uh, one, um, Tim Turner wrote and said, uh, a perfect example of the kind of fast-paced, fun films put out by the Universal B unit. Patrick Knowles is a snappy hero. Anne Gwynn makes for a delightful partner in crime. Manton Morland brings his usual smile-inducing performance. And Lionel Atwill has a small but curious role as well. It's not the Magnificent Ambersons, <laughs> but it doesn't need to be. Fun and silly, it's a decent time passer. And yes, that's a compliment. Cool. 
I would have to agree with you, Tim, completely. I think you are correct. Mm-hmm. That's but that really kind of almost sums yeah. up my feelings on the film. Yeah, the term we keep coming back to is agreeable. You know, time passers. You know, and that's I think that's kind of where we all fall on that. There were a few other people who chimed in with with brief messages mm-hmm. saying that um, basically that they enjoyed the film, but it wasn't particularly great. Things mm-hmm. along those lines, mm-hmm. and it essentially fell right into the same category that you and I fall into, which yeah. is yeah. you know. We enjoy it, but mm. it's definitely not great. Yeah. And so yeah. that's fun to know. Mm. Uh, we have a few older pieces of mail, things that things that we should have uh, already dropped into the uh, mm. conversation a while back, and I'm going to try to uh, going to try to inject those into things now. So here's a few more emails to uh, kind of uh, shuffle us along and make us feel as if uh, mm. there are people out there listening and give a shit about what we're doing. <laughs> we beg people to write, and then we don't answer their letter for half a year. So. <laughs> there is that. Now, this one will feel a little weird for Troy to be talking about because uh, it doesn't necessarily pertain to him, but just a little bit. It says, uh, this is from uh, Jason. Mm-hmm. It says, uh, Rod, just wanted to drop you a line to say thank you for the work you do. Since I started working from home, my podcast intake has gone way up, and The Bloody Pit is my favorite new discovery. As a Southerner who grew up on stuff like Logan's Run, Planet of the Apes, horror movies, and Marvel comics, I find your outlook very relatable. I guess I guess he would. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> The shows you've done where you cover movies I've already seen make me want to rewatch them, and when you talk about things I've never heard of, like Nothing Underneath, I search them out. That That's good. That's kind of what we, that's what we aim for. Yeah. Again, thanks for what you're doing, especially right now, when any distraction from election anxiety is welcome. Uh, this is from before the election. Yeah. P.S. I loved... <laughs> this, this is interesting. Uh-huh. I loved your Independence Day slash Mars Attack show, even though I like ID4 for the big, dumb Irwin Allen movie that it is. I think that's the key to enjoying it. Take it as a 70s disaster movie throwback. You made me appreciate Mars Attacks a bit more, although I'll always wish it had been directed by Joe Dante in full-on Gremlins 2 mode. Hmm. Hmm. Now, I found that to be a really interesting yeah, idea. Yeah, I could see that, yeah. Uh, mainly because uh, I think... ID four. I think Independence Day is absolutely one of the most insulting pieces I, of garbage. I'm with you on that. But if you, but if you, <laughs> but, but hey, if you enjoy it, that's if great. you can find yeah. a way to enjoy it, that's sure, great. Sure. Uh, I I do love Mars Attacks, but now that he has implanted the idea, <laughs> that would have been yeah of it being directed by Joe Dante. Mm-hmm. Oh my God! <laughs> I think about it in those terms, and I I I I want that alternate reality. I want that yeah. version of that. Yeah, film. I would love to see that too. Oh, yeah, that would that would that would be amazing. Cool. Another email from. Uh, just a few weeks ago, thank goodness. He says uh, it's uh, it's kind of wishing us a happy new year. Uh, it's from uh, Landon, and uh, he says just a quick note to wish you fellas all a happy new year. Listening to you and your gang discuss movies has really helped me deal with the crap we all deal with every day in the last few years. It's appointment listening for me as you guys have begun to feel like my friends. Thanks again, Landon. That's awesome. Thanks, Landon. Appreciate that, buddy. That's, that's, that's yeah. That's a great compliment. That is, and I we. It is. It is. Mm-hmm. It's it's the, it's the kind of compliment that I honestly I don't expect mm-hmm. to ever get yeah. because I don't I don't think of what we do in those terms. Yeah. Um, we we I guess we are kind of mm-hmm. creating a, a bit of a feeling of community, and I yeah. at least I now that I you know now that I've given it some thought over time, mm-hmm. it makes me feel great to know that that is possible. Yeah. Doing something like this. I do too. We we want to be the star in your sky, not the cause of your divorce. <laughs> come from what i don't know <laughs> the cause of your what the hell don't know i don't know holy shit i i, I love the sentiment troy i do all right the sentiment is wonderful but what in the name of god brought that on um landon 
thank you for the kind words. Yes, thank you, man. It, it is quite a compliment, and we're glad that you enjoy what we do. I hope you enjoyed this one. I, I you know, I, that, here, let, let, me, let me give you a little peek behind the curtain, folks. Um, there is a certain part of me, usually during the editing process of every episode of this show and the Nashi cast, mm-hmm. where I am convinced that is one of the, that what I am currently editing is one of the shittiest things ever committed to sound recording. <laughs> now, I work my way through that. <laughs> I don't destroy it and toss it out and, and stop doing the show. <laughs> but I have my own anxieties about uh, whatever drives me to, to create these shows. And it does occasionally have to be... I have to overcome my own uh, mental deficiencies and my desire to uh, see myself as something more than just the... Uh, a lunatic loser creating something in his you know spare upstairs beth- bedroom. It's it's the kind of thing that makes me want to uh, uh, be out there and then also retract everything I've mm. ever made mm. yeah. so that no one can hear how bad I sound or <laughs> how dumb I am or how badly I screwed up that or <laughs> how terribly I mispronounced a name or you know all the various things. So thank you, Landon, and thank you to everyone who's written in to thank us over the years for the show, to compliment us in one way or another, to ask us a question, to berate us for getting something wrong, or to make fun of us for mispronouncing (laughs) names, which is, by the way, one of the things we do best. Yes, yes, and and it's not going to get any better anytime soon, so... No. I also went with saying thanks to you, man, because again, I've said it before on here. I have the easy, I have the easy job. I say what I say, I forget what I say, and I turn and I walk away. <laughs> and I never have to hear it again if I don't want to. You, on the other hand, have to live with it and work with it and cut it up and move it around and do all those things editors do. So you have the tough. So Rod really deserves the lion's share of the thanks for all this. Thank you, thank you. You can, you can, you can, you can put <laughs> that piece hell. of paper yeah, down. Yeah, like, yeah. No, you can put that piece of paper yeah. down now. You yeah. re- you read that well. It's you almost did. as if well, you well, your handwriting it. is so hard to but. <laughs> decipher it wasn't easy but (laughs) thank you Troy thank you to everyone I mean I did here's the thing this is where I uh, get to point out that um, I if if it were just me doing this show it would suck Um, seriously if I don't have somebody to bounce off of if I don't have somebody to to uh, sharpen my wits against then Mm. I'm uh, I'm quite the dull blade trust me I would I would retreat into being uh, one of the most boring people you've ever (laughs) ever heard speak So having uh, having someone across the table from me to browbeat, to humiliate, <laughs> to insult, yeah. to spit upon, yes, things of this nature. Uh, we, <laughs> these are the time. These are the kinds of times that uh, you you thank your you, you thank the people who help you uh, do something that you can be proud of. And, and of course, Troy, you are definitely that. Hudson is not. Yeah, no. Hudson. No, Hudson. Just... Hudson does not help me at all. Hudson yeah. is Hudson is a burden. He is. He's, he's, he's just good at sticking that foot in the door when you go to close it, and just you know, the old salesman's trick there. But uh, we should uh, we should make po- make the point very clear that um, you and I will be back. Yes. On the Nashicast feed here in a few weeks as well. Uh, we have uh, we're going to continue. We're entering the eleventh year of the Nashicast, folks. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, what's going to happen on the first Nashicast of twenty twenty one? We start our 11th year with a return visitor. Mm-hmm. Ah, yes. Troy and I are going to sit down and have a, a more pointed discussion about Paul Nashie films with Sam Deegan. Yeah. This is going to be fun. Yeah, it is. Because she has, uh, she has uh, named two specific Nashie films that she wants to uh, discuss uh, in some detail because yeah. she sees uh, a thread between them, which is essentially Nashie's portrayals of the devil. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to be talking a little bit about Inquisition mm-hmm. and a little bit about Exorcism. 
So that is what's going to happen on the next episode of the NashiCast. I'm very excited about this because that airs a, there's a lot to dig into on that subject in those two films. Um, he plays... He plays religious men in both of them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, indeed he does. Mm-hmm. One you would like to sit down and spend an evening with, and one you would not. So. <laughs> this is very true. Yeah. So join us and Sam over on the Nashi cast here in the next few weeks. That's going to be a blast. Yeah. Um, the next time Troy and I sit down to continue the Universal Horrors of the 1940s thread, we're very excited. The mm-hmm. next one is one that I have not rewatched in a very long time. I remember enjoying quite a bit. Uh, it's Invisible Agent. And it's one I've never seen. Oh, actually. really? I've never seen it. Uh, you know, I, I've been wanting to see it for years, but then when I knew we were starting this, you know, series, I just purposely held off to get until we actually came upon it to, to show it. But with a name like that, I'm, I would be right that there might be some World War II references. Yes, actually, there are. Uh, I'm shocked. I'm shocked. Well, I first saw this when it came out on VHS tape back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, was very excited, got my hands on it, mm-hmm. because... These were the days when I really didn't have a firm grasp of, you know, mm-hmm. the order in which the any of these films were made. Really, yeah, yeah. I was going off clue. You know, I was going off clues in mm-hmm. uh, in like the Leonard Malton books and just yeah. trying to to go by the, the the date of release, trying to figure out when these damn things came. You know, when they what order you should see them in. But I, I knew that with the Invisible Man films, they were so different that you could just grab any one yeah, of them. Right. An Invisible Agent, what a title! Yeah, it's a I great mean, title. you know, it's an Invisible yeah. Man mm-hmm. film. It's an Invisible Agent. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about you know secret agents. The espionage during World War Two. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> sign on the dotted line. Here's my fifteen dollars. I think that's how much that videotape was. <laughs> if memory serves, like fourteen ninety five. I don't know. I vaguely remember. But I'm looking forward. I haven't rewatched this. Um, well, let's put it this way. Hmm. Uh, I haven't watched it since I would have watched it off a of videotape. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, so probably been a long since, time. Probably since the nineties, then more likely. Yeah. I didn't even watch it when it was available on DVD. Yeah. yeah. Which is uh, a sad. Sad fact to admit, but I just, I, I did not. Uh, so looking forward to a revisit on this. I hope that you will follow along. Um, um, we, it, it will be, um, I think it'll be February when we get, yeah. uh, when we do yeah, Invisible Agent. Yeah, right. Yeah. So it'll be sometime in February when we do Invisible Agent. And I uh, hope you'll join us for that. And uh, if you have any comments about the film you want to get to us so that we can include in the show, the email address for the show is thebloodypit at gmail.com, or you can join us over on our uh, Benighted Facebook page. Leave a comment there. Any, any way, shape, or form you can contact us, please do. Uh, you don't have to uh, type it all out if you want. You can record it and send it to us as a voicemail. We'll throw that into the show as well. Uh, Invisible Agent, um, am I going to enjoy it as I remember enjoying it mm-hmm. long ago? I'm curious, and yeah. I, I, I love it when we run across one that one or the other of us have never seen before. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's cool. Yeah, I'm excited about yeah, seeing it for the first it's time. Exciting. So, all right, uh, folks, thank you once again very yeah. much for uh, listening to the show. Thank you very much for the kind words from everyone who's written to us, and for the donations. Thank you so much for those. Most assuredly, uh, that donation button is there on the uh, the bloody pit. Uh, Blogspot page, you can jump over there and hit that if you would like to throw a few bucks our way. Um, we'll not, will not refuse them because they go right into the kitty and pay for, pay for the, pay for the storage. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the show. Hope you had a good time checking this one out. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn, and we'll talk to you again next time. Had a dream
world held his hand Gave their pledge so he told them his scheme for a saviour machine They called it the prayer, its answer was law Its logic stopped war, gave them food, how they adored Till it cried in its boredom 